0: Mastering Retention, presented by UserWise.
1: Hi, everyone. Uh, Welcome to today's Mastering Retention podcast. Uh, Today is actually part two of our monetization series with uh, Remy. Um, So welcome back to everyone that didn't hear part one. Uh, If you haven't, you should go listen to that one right now because we think it gives you really good... uh, Layout of monetization as a whole, as you kind of think about it. Um, but obviously, uh, making enough money to continue to support your games, to pay salaries, to keep the lights on is super important so that we can continue to do what we do, which is make games. Um, but it's a very big subject. <laughs> There's a lot to cover, uh, a lot of different strategies and things like that. So, really excited for part two, um, which is going to be all about kind of the idea of first-time payer conversion. How do you actually get people to spend money the first time in your game? Interestingly enough, psychologically, it's a lot easier to get them to spend money again once you get them to spend it the first time. But making that first purchase, that first commitment is uh, super challenging. So for me, I'm excited to to delve into this uh, topic with you. Um, So let's go ahead and do that. So when I'm talking about Monetization, a first time conversion. Uh, what does that actually mean? Like for, for people that are listening?
0: Yeah. And conversion is one of those just fantastic uh, industry words that we use in seven different places, which is just the best. <laughs> so, <laughs> for the context of this discussion, uh, you were converting a non paying player into a paying player. Uh, so, I think philosophically, the thing to remember is that especially in North America, very, very few people are coming to your game with the intention of paying, like they are coming to get free, great content. And you're basically your entire job is to convince them that your game is so good, so fun, and so rewarding, that's actually in their best interest to spend on a free product. So that's why conversion is such a challenge and so fundamentally important to us.
1: Mm, I like that. Um, why does first time conversion actually matter? Like, why should I care about this subject and why should I keep listening to the rest of this podcast?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think you touched on one of the easy answers to that, which is that, yeah, people are vastly more likely to spend multiple times after spending the first time. They essentially kind of like, you know, you break that wall down and then, they're invested. They're literally monetarily invested. Um, they have the kind of sunk cost fallacy, which is actually really helpful, which is like they're more likely to continue to play your game because they've spent money on it. So they've actually made themselves more likely to be retained. Um, mm. And yeah, it's, it's pretty easy like that. For some reason that, you know, that question of is this game worth a dollar is actually an, a harder question for a person to answer than is this game worth a hundred dollars later, like once they've convinced themselves. So why is that, uh, is that conversion so important? It's like, one, as mentioned, it's the hardest thing you can do is convince someone to spend money on something free. Um, but yeah, it really does break down the doors for everything that's going to come after. And if you're, if you're not intentional about it, Um, it's not something to ever underestimate. Like you can almost underestimate every monetization point after that, which is just, oh, we'll just keep showing them bundles and sales and all that stuff is good. But if you're not hyper intentional, and specific about what you're trying to do to set up an optimal first purchase flow, um, you're not just stopping one purchase. Keep in mind, you're stopping every purchase that person might have made down the road. Super interesting. So you you mentioned that you
1: can actually increase retention by getting people to spend money. Um, Mm -hmm. how big of an increase are we talking about here? Like obviously every game is probably a little bit different, but like, have you personally seen, okay, once a payer spends money, their retention for let's say day 30 goes up, you know, 20% for that segment or something like
0: that. It's, it's really tough. That's kind of a, um, There's too many confounding variables there, right? Because like the kind of person who's willing to spend is far more likely to be the kind of person that would have played your game longer anyway. So if you compare a spending user to the average user, yes, you'll probably see a pretty high uh, difference in retention. But frankly, you would have seen a comparable difference if you just had that non-paying user be that hardcore invested in your product anyway. So it's really difficult to put numbers behind it. Uh, It is more to say that, yeah, the kind of person who spends is virtually guaranteed to play your game a lot more and a lot longer. Uh, But yeah, I I could never divorce it entirely from they're also (laughs) the biggest fans of your game.
1: Yeah, no, that, that totally makes sense. So I hear, you know, conversion or convert a lot um we just define first-time conversion um what's the primary difference between that like first-time conversion event and subsequent conversion events or
0: repurchase i guess you might call it sorry do you mean from like the player's perspective or for the way we look at it what are you thinking
1: either (laughs) Or, (laughs) or maybe both I think it's always good
0: to put ourselves in our player's shoes when we can. Yeah, I'd say um, so from the player standpoint, I think it's actually different ways of looking at the game. And you know what, actually, you know, I'll, I'll spread that. Out. I think we have to have that same lens. So there is a different likelihood for what a person is likely going to purchase the first time versus the second or the third. Um, and I like to talk about the difference between, you know, impulse buys and strategic purchases. And uh, I actually did think of a a bit of an example that I, that, uh, I will henceforth use all the time. to demonstrate the difference. So um, when you see a vanity purchase in uh, in Fortnite, to some extent that falls into the impulse category. But if you see like a a mid-core RPG, they might try to sell you like a gem that goes inside a piece of equipment that your character uses that has three stat effects. And I think the difference is really, really clear there. So one of the reasons vanity in a game that does vanity well which is a slightly different conversation tends to be such a great converter or something that people are willing to spend so much money on is because you need to know nothing about the game. If i show you a stormtrooper, you like stormtroopers, you might buy a stormtrooper. There's there's you didn't even need to know what game i'm talking about <laughs> to know that that probably applies. But the amount of information a person needs to understand that they're making a good strategic purchase is extraordinary by comparison. So again, an equipment slot like not even a piece of equipment but you know a lot of games will be like this is hey this is your your blue ruby that adds plus seven to strength that only can be equipped into chess pieces of armor like there's like seven obfuscations before a player understands how it's going to pay off they have mm-hmm. to have the armor know how important that is they have to know how important the secondary system is they have to be actively doing it they're probably going to be thinking about like obsolescence like how long is this good for so the important thing to remember and i think it really does come up on a day-to-day basis is the first time someone purchases something they're probably going to have the smallest amount of total um, potential education to your game compared to any subsequent purchase so it has to be something that you put effort into teaching them it has to be something they understand the value of uh, and ideally the simpler the better Um, because later on these bigger purchases these more sustainable purchases tend to be ones that are driven by a greater broader understanding of the game you know, when you play like a game before Fire Age, like so many other purchases down the line are like specifically supposed to be layered with this on top of six other buffs at the exact same time. And you're, there's the most efficient spend versus payoff. Like that's for your hardcore players. And those are the kind of reconversion points you want to slowly try to ideally give them more expensive things that they're willing to spend on. But the biggest distinction is always like early on, you need the simplest best purchase a player could make. And you want them to understand that purchase as quickly as you possibly can.
1: Mm, that's super interesting.
0: Thinking about first-time conversion a little bit, and
1: I am generally, with the very few exceptions of some games that I usually go into with like a lot of knowledge and past experience with, um, I'm generally not going to convert until I've played a game for like a year or two. Oh, wow. um, <laughs> Support like, I, I industry. I gotta, be, I gotta be dedicated. But then I become a whale. Um and and it's changed a little bit with uh battle pass and things like that. Um but um you know I, I basically have to be like super engaged with the game because I feel like I, I play so many games that you know, I I just churn through most of them, and there's only like a few that actually stick around. And once I've stuck around it for a long enough time, I'm like wow, I really enjoy this game. Oh, here's something that's actually valuable. To my question, okay, so you talked about the importance of having like a very clear first time conversion event. My favorite one that I've ever seen is in uh, Game of Thrones Conquest. Uh, and they blend it with psychological stuff that I won't go into right now. But basically, after you complete the first-time user experience, you're hit with a pop-up where they gift you your very own dragon egg. It's awesome. Everyone that's playing Game of Thrones wants their own dragon, right? It's yep. part of it. And then immediately, they hit you with an offer And if you really look at the offer and you dig into it, they're giving you like a thousand wood or something like that. And maybe a couple of other things to try to get you to convert later. But the offer says hatch your dragon. And it's like, okay, I got my dragon. Yeah. I want to hatch it. Like I want to do that right now because I want my dragon. I'm playing game of Thrones. And I think that probably converts extremely well, but for the players that are like, well, I'm not going to drop five bucks on this game right away. And they close out of that offer And they've now been playing this game for, I don't know, days, weeks, months, whatever it is. Do you think it makes sense to try to use some sort of segmentation to, again, still focus in on that first-time conversion event? Whereas I had first-time conversion, you know, optimized for the new players that are coming in with that Hatch Your Dragon event. But then I've got this, you know, second or maybe third layer of first-time conversion kind of designed offers and things later on in the game. Now that I know the player knows what that gem is used for, they know how valuable it is, they actually want yes. it, um, you know, is that something that I should be thinking for and actually planning and designing within my whole idea of
0: first-time payer conversion? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're touching on a couple of things here. So, um, so one, I'll relate back to... Um, to what I just said using your example because I think it's a great example. Um, as you said, if you just said there was a game that wanted me to pay to hatch my dragon, you didn't even need to mention what game it was or what the context was or anything. Yeah, I want a dragon, right? That's the beginning <laughs> and the ending of, of the value of that. And it's why it's a good converter pack because again, the education and the what you had to teach a player to understand is minimal to none like you just as you add that it's game of thrones cool exponentially i want my dragon even more but but the point is that you have mentioned a very very clear goal for a player and a very clear outcome um, that takes as little education as possible um so now looking at the other side you're also doing the other side of good monetization which is creating a need and that's a that's the thing that needs to be understood is you don't need vanity that's one of the tricky parts for it you want vanity and and i'll say some games actually do intentionally lead into it like where you look like garbage until basically you make a purchase i think it's actually been a sad bit of a trend i've seen in a lot of games lately that have been leading into vanity is a lot of the core models are subpar um but yeah for a strategic purchase that need has to be created with a lot of a lot of intention and it's why segmentation tends to work really well because you can't always with perfect clarity guarantee that a person is going to have a need for, say, a specific currency at a specific time. Um, Those certain games do it better than others. Uh, so, yeah, so going into like, would you want different conversion packs? Absolutely. Your conversion pack, the thing, frankly, any monetization, but conversion, even more importantly, it's supposed to be satisfying your biggest, most exciting, most easy to understand need at any given, any given time. And your need is going to be different a year into play or, or a week into play than it was in your first day. So yeah, fundamentally you should be planning that like in an ideal scenario, your game always knows where your player is and can always provide like a dynamic systems are kind of like that dream state where it's like I'm going to generate a bundle that's going to look at this player's account, see that they don't have enough wood and that they need it to progress. And I'm going to make them a bundle on the fly that says, here's your wood bundle. And it comes with some other best practice stuff on top of it. So yeah. So any kind of purchase, ideally it's you are creating a very specific catered need that a player is going to run into. And then you're basically satisfying that need in the easiest, clearest way possible. Because again, you want the smallest number of steps. I need wood. Here's your wood. That's always going to be the most effective way that you can provide spend opportunities.
1: I like that a lot. But of people that are listening, we just talked about segmentation and maybe like multiple different offers and things like that. Like are how much is this actually worth in terms of, you know, if I'm going to have one person that is like completely dedicated to just trying to create these offers and understand the different segments and create the, you know, different first time pair. Like, is it actually worth doing or, you know, is it not worth doing until my game hits some certain level of scale
0: or something like that? Yeah. It's uh it's a tough one. So, one, I, I say that the first thing that, that matters to justify like that role, and I'll be honest, we're hiring for that role. So hey, I'll submit this <laughs> today. Um, but yeah, the thing I would say is like the first thing that needs to be true for that to be worth anyone's time is your game actually has to have the depth and complexity enough to justify it. If you're basically selling a game with just energy, And and, you know, just as a terrible example, then there'd be no point in getting a person whose full-time job was being like, "I'm going to offer 73 energy at this price point to this person." Like, maybe they'd get some gains if you had an absurdly large user base, but realistically, it's for it, it really ties very well to how much variety there is in your purchases. So if you actually have like, like that's why I mean, we're hovering around. Um, like 4X games because they have 600 things you can buy. So if there's 600 things you could buy, yeah, you could try to keep this as like a side of your desk thing where you're just like, all right, I wonder if this combination of those 600 is effective or I'm going to unlock at these points where I know someone's going to have to buy a upgrade. So I assume they'll have that thing. But frankly, like, that is a full-time job to figure out all the right answers of no, no, no. You want this person at this stage to get this exact offer because, and you want to have segment your player base 300 different ways. And you want to be off giving optimal offers. It really does tie to like the diversity of purchases that a player can make. Uh, And then it's a lot of like, how good is the person at that job? How big is your user base? Like if you're trying to segment like a 50 K DAU, you're probably already in the wrong space, but. Yeah, largely, I'd say it's tied to how complex your game and how how much diversity of spend you have. That's great.
1: Okay, so uh, I'm sure that this varies a lot game to game, but um, you know, what percent of players should convert ever, um, and and do you find that that's different between countries like the U.S. versus India, um, between different segments and between different like player behavior
0: groups? Yes, uh, absolutely, kind of to all of the above. So uh, it is going to be different by uh, country, by, dem- uh, by demographic, by geographic. Um, we found that you know uh, India is now famously building this massive mobile market, uh, but they tend to be an ad driven economy. So their conversion is going to be drastically lower um, than probably anyone else you could point at. And yeah, uh, you know, uh, China and uh, Japan to have completely different methodologies behind spend as well. Like it's actually where a lot of our culture is is kind of towards like, look how much money I can save. Um, I've heard tell that, you know, in China it could be the opposite where people are, no, no, they want to show off that they are the big spender or that they're in a different demo. you know, Mm -hmm. spend bracket than other people uh so yeah so it can vary wildly it also in my mind kind of more importantly varies by genre so different genres are going to have vastly different conversion rates um the number that you tend to hear tossed around is one to three percent uh some people have said one to four when we had better ua targeting a paid user might have as high as five percent and that was pretty great um but the more important than the number itself, the thing that I would focus on if someone here is trying to, um, to, to learn lessons about monetization, um, learning that it's a numbers game, and I, I, use, I like to use 1% as the reference number for this exact reason, is you always have to try to do that math in your head when you're trying to figure out whether or not you're building something that's good to monetize. Remember that one in 100 people who see this might spend money on it. So if you have something that say, oh, well, we put an offer in our store. Okay, cool. What percentage of your players actually go to your store per day? Maybe it's only 20%. So, okay, that Hmm. means that one in 100 is now actually one one hundredth of 20% of your player base. (laughs) So you've actually already drastically cut. So that's the biggest lesson I like to encourage people. is like you want in an ideal world, 100% of your user base is exposed to 100% of your monetization opportunities because only then will you get that true 1%. Otherwise, you're literally just cutting yourself off over and over and over until it's a percentage of a percentage.
1: Yeah, I I like that a lot. Um, I know I've seen with some you know, like rewarded video monetization, they're like, well, we'll add rewarded videos into our level mechanic. And once you're out of lives, you can watch a video to get another life. I'm like, well, that's cool. But how many people play a level in a day? How many people play enough levels per day that they're going to run out of lives? Oh, we're down to like 20%. And then how many people watch a video beyond that versus just ending your session or whatnot? So, you know, you just cut it way down. Um, So that's great. Um, So one to 5% on the good side, that doesn't sound
0: that awesome so
1: why is (laughs) conversion so difficult
0: um again it's it's uh it is selling uh, you're selling something to someone who's getting your product for free so i mean um for one thing i'd say it's why that the the player bases are so enormous um for a successful mobile game compared to a successful console game um because yeah i mean if if you sell a million copies of a game it's actually a pretty enormous achievement um if you have like <laughs> less than a million people ever play your mobile game you probably just have an unsuccessful mobile game um because yeah you're looking at a different percentage of other people who are going to pay so remembering that you know if you have 100 times the user base of a console game you're actually looking at comparable payers which is an interesting thing to look at um, but yeah in terms of why it's hard it is it is because I think it just comes back to the same thing you're gonna hear me say a thousand times. It is because you're trying to sell something that is free, and uh, and people aren't looking for the next big thing to spend money on. Your entire job is to convince them that your product is worth spending money on. Because um, again, once you break down that barrier, it's broken forever, and a lot of people are so much more likely uh, to continue to spend if you convince them that your game is that good, which goes more into the how do you make spending feel good conversation. But uh, yeah, it's it's the biggest challenge you'll probably ever deal with if you have a fun game.
1: Yeah. So, you know, if I'm thinking about conversion um, and kind of designing my monetization strategy, um, w- what kind of monetization strategy kind of lends itself best to this idea of conversion?
0: Yeah, that's um, that's an interesting one. So the we can talk about ads I think we should talk about them a little bit separately. Um but the thing that I like to encourage people the most is that the thing you should want to monetize on shouldn't be something that is separate to your gameplay. So integrated monetization models um I would say are almost definitely the path to success. So I'll give that classic loot box comparison as that tends to be where so many people go anyway. If you only open up a loot box when you spend you're drastically gonna reduce the number of people that are willing to, to spend on loot boxes. But if you teach them, if you open a couple of loot boxes a day and then there is a better one, then again, you've drastically increased people's willingness because you're trying to build um, connections to the value of what you're selling. So if you can't establish value within your current gameplay, it's gonna be so much harder Uh, to convince someone to buy something because how are they going to judge whether it's worth it? But if they already encounter it and you can, so like an easy way to demonstrate something's even better if you spend like a bronze chest compared to a gold chest, for instance, or an epic or however, whatever scale you want to use. So the thing I would just encourage is um, one, it has to be integrated into the gameplay as mentioned. Uh, Two, it should be sustainable slash repeatable. That's the thing that's kind of missed. So I'll use your early example. Um, If you only ever had one dragon, It's a terrible monetization model why would you even teach a person that you can get a dragon why you try to sell it however if you got better and better dragons well then you could sell someone a monetization point for opening their dragon early a year in because that egg might take three months to hatch and it might be a Mm -hmm. legendary dragon and you can now increase it because it's now a part of your actual loop Um, so that's one of the more important things to memorize is yes to our earlier conversation you want to provide different conversion points all the way through, but an even better scenario is that they continuously encounter the same type of conversion point that has perceived increased value throughout. So, you know, uh, super simple example, um, idle miner, it's uh, as you progress into a next level of your uh, mine, it takes like 10 minutes to, to skip past that timer. Uh, that eventually takes 30 minutes and it could take hours, conceivably. So you're encountering that same loop as part of your gameplay, but the value of it goes up because now you're not just spending to get past a five minute wait, you're spending to get past maybe a five hour wait. And that's not my favorite example, but it's a very clear example. Of, mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, so if you can get those two things, it should be <clears throat> hyper clear, it should be integrated into your gameplay, and it should be a recurring uh, spend point, ideally, just so you're not doing the same work twice and people get used to the value. Every time they encounter that spend point, again, they have a better understanding of, uh, of the value of their purchase.
1: Yeah. How do you maximize the chances that a player will convert?
0: Um I'm not sure if that's necessarily a different answer than I just gave. Um, or, or
1: is that kind of all blended into there a little yeah, bit? Yeah.
0: I think that's kind of like the, almost the thesis of, of our conversation. It's like, yeah, presenting it to them. It's, it's that combination of presenting them the offer, demonstrating the value of them education, which I, it's kind of summarizing what we've talked about, but we didn't say it explicitly enough. A lot of your job as a game designer is to teach a player to like certain parts of your game. So for instance, uh, if you're gonna sell a consumable, you don't want to sell that consumable first, you want them to use that consumable and be addicted to how much fun it was. Oh, this, this gives me twice the power and now I'm zooming through content. Well, now here's your conversion pack, and it gives you five of these. That's important to maximize your chances, educate the player on what's actually fun and valuable in the game, um, provide them a chance to, to use it and experience how much better things can be, prompt them to purchase something that's probably an even better version of that and do that at the right time. So if you can combine those, and ideally again, that's a recurring behavior, you're probably best set up for success with converting players.
1: So do you ever think that blending a little bit of psychology in there could help? So, so as an example, Uh, let's say I want to hit you with a very, very valuable offer. Um, this is my hatch your dragon deal. It's like 70, 80% off really great value for money. Like you're probably very rarely going to see thing for the players that don't spend, does it make sense for maybe the next few days to hit them with like really trashy offers that are like more expensive less value and then like on day seven you like hit them again with an offer that's like the one that disappeared before and you know can you create that illusion of like fear of missing out to try to get them to you know convert the first time or is that not worth exploring something like that ever
0: (laughs) there's uh there so there's pros and cons to what you described so what i will say is yes um fundamentally, psychology is really heavily involved. And I'll use maybe some simpler examples and I'll come back to your your direct question. So, um, and again, it's why I tell people to go to to Walmart and do all these different things. So price anchoring is going to be one of the most important things you'll ever do. And uh, I'll just use this nice fake example. If I said to you, how much is a magic sword worth in a game? It's impossible for you to have an answer off the cuff right? So everything you have to add to that is context. So for one thing, you may have external context. Maybe you bought a magic sword in other games and it was two bucks. So it's going to make you less likely to spend five in this other game. But fundamentally, you want to try to create those relationships in your game. And this is going to apply in a lot of different ways. So if you first get a magic sword and you see its value and then you sell a better magic sword, you have some intrinsic value tied to it. But that's not going to tell a person whether it should be 2 bucks or 5 bucks. However, price anchoring is what's going to do that. So one of the best examples of this is your uh, hard currencies. So virtually every bundle in a game that has hard currency is usually going to sell hard currency plus. Um, And the reason for that is because if I go to my store page and I see that I get maybe 100 hard currency for $5, but the bundle says 100 hard currency for $2 plus these other things, I now believe that it's a good deal. And the funny thing is, it's it's irrelevant. (laughs) Like that value didn't exist until I saw that. But by comparison, I'm able to say, this is a more valuable purchase. So that's Mm. where a lot of the psychology is gonna come up. Uh, That's gonna rear its head in so many places one of those most common things you'll see is three separate offers and one offer is crappy. One offer is way too expensive. And then you put a big delicious best offer symbol on your middle one. It's like, well, if you, you made it. Why would you make two bad offers? The answer yeah. is because you're trying to push them towards a specific purchase outcome. Um, geez, I forget what it was called. It's like the psychology of, of spend or something, but someone made some great, uh, the,
1: the decoy offers
0: or whatnot. <laughs> that that's part of it. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's basically making a person almost trick themselves. So one of the great examples I heard is like, you're going to the store to buy a bike and the bike is $100 and all you wanted was that bike. And there's also a helmet next to that bike for $30. And then there's a deal where you get the bike and the helmet for $115. And like they've proven, you're more likely to get that because you're saving $15, but you're not. You're spending $15. Mm-hmm. You never planned to spend. You came for a bike. You bought a bike and a helmet. You've actually been upselled. You feel like you beat the system and you saved money, but you just ended up buying something you never planned for. <laughs> so <laughs> to wrap back to your initial question, um, in some ways, what you're saying makes sense because it is essentially price anchoring in a lot of ways. It's like, well, here's yeah. the best deal. And you know, here's some crappy ones. Now it can work But I think it's actually the secondary conditions that make it a little bit dangerous because after that person misses that first deal, you have no idea if they're going to be here seven days from now where your next good deal comes up and you want people to always have an opportunity to spend. And they should never be like the extreme version of that is people are only waiting until your best sales arrive. And a lot of Mm. people have made that mistake. Like, remember the steam (laughs) sale? Steam sale did this every single year and now they never do it again. And we're all so sad as a community. <laughs> it used to be, here's your best offer. That's counting down for 12 hours. And they found that no one bought anything until the last day of the sale because you just kept waiting for your, the thing you might've bought to go on sale for a better price. So it is, yes, you can use psychology to push people in a certain direction, but you have to be very wary uh, that intelligent consumers are gonna notice trends and they're going to, first you might just miss them entirely. They might just stop playing your game. Or you might just actually teach them to only buy the, the cheapest purchase or the least optimal purchase from the developer standpoint. That makes sense.
1: Okay. So looping back a little bit, um, first time conversion, deal time for players to convert. Like, should I try to get them to just, you know, spend as soon as possible? Or uh, is there some sort of like magic moment in my, my game where it's like, okay, Once they've completed this milestone, if I can get them to spend, like, that's the sweet spot, or is it different game by game?
0: Actually, uh, a a fascinating and highly relevant question these days. So something that hasn't changed, but that we've seen to be true is uh, people are most likely to convert in their first seven days. So it is very important that you give them the best conversion points you possibly have within that timeframe. I mean, there's a thousand other factors that double down on that. Obviously, your retention is slowly dropping. You're losing people. So if you had one in 100 and half of those people have left, now it's one in 50. Sorry, it's uh, less. It's 0.5. One, anyway, <laughs> math, point being. Um So that was true. And we've kind of known that for a very long time. Like I I heard that for the first time in like 2009 or something, Um, but interestingly, lately people have been diving way, way harder into that to the point that like a lot of people think that you should try to get to to convert in your first session even. And while I don't think necessarily the data has caught up to those assumptions, it's definitely becoming closer if not best practices is vastly more common these days. Um, And a couple of things probably contribute to that one, if someone does spend in your first session and we have kind of established that it is to some extent tied to retention. Awesome. That person is vastly more likely to stick around, but there's also this kind of assumption that like with most games, your kind of peak enjoyment from a product tends to be in that early experience. Everything is novel. Everything is new. So you know, imagine you went to a restaurant, but you weren't expected to spend money in the restaurant for seven days. Really unusual, right? Like, frankly, at seven days, you're probably less excited by the restaurant than you were your first time. You've had all the meals, you know what to expect, there's no surprises. Um, so, you're vastly more likely the first time to come in and be like, cool, I'm trying something new, I'm engaging with something. So, there's a lot of logic now that's pushing us to be like, <laughs> even if you can't convince them to convert, everyone should have that opportunity to convert as early as possible. Um, For one thing, for that numbers game that we talked about is you're losing players continuously. So the more people Mm -hmm. that have that opportunity, the higher your chances are. Um, But yeah, really playing off that, hey, you've just opened up a game and your the way that your like kind of mentality is at that point is i have something new i've gotten something that i'm looking to have fun with and i'm given the opportunity to have more fun but like the longer a person plays actually the less valuable certain purchases are because they have a much better understanding They're, they become that strategic player that's looking for a strategic buy not an impulse buy um and that might even be one of the easiest ways to look at it's like day one you're selling a chocolate bar day seven you're selling seeds to plant your garden during something and it is a lot easier to justify a dollar on a chocolate bar than building a garden in the long term. So a lot of reasons to try to push forward as early as you can, uh, even though as mentioned, you should have these nice recurring points and accept that it's not going to happen for everybody right away.
1: Mm, makes sense. So when I do spend, um, how should that make your players feel after they've actually spent money on the game?
0: Yeah, that's great. I mean, I think the answer sounds <laughs> obvious, but it's extremely important. So as we're talking about, um, Because, yeah, I mean, their likelihood of repeat spend is really what you're looking at there. One, I mean, I think there's also like the the moral and the more fundamental issue of like people should feel good about spending money on your game as a rule, like you should want to provide that. Um, I think in some ways it's the best counter for people who are nervous about Getting into monetization or trying to sell a real product, because a lot of us have that attitude of, no, we want, want games to be fun. Spending should be fun, too, for that reason. Um, but really, if you're looking at it from a business standpoint, you want that repeat purchase. And frankly, conversion packs themselves tend to be really, really low uh, in price. So just having a conversion pack alone is probably not going to be the most beneficial thing to you. It might recoup your um, user acquisition costs, but it's unlikely to actually be part of where your profit comes from. So what you really want is a repeat spend. You want someone who's going to spend multiple times, multiple opportunities. So then just think about it from that standpoint is it's not really any different from anything that we would purchase multiple times, right? If you go to a restaurant and you buy a meal, how should you feel leaving that restaurant? Well, you want to feel like you're going to come back that that's the simplest way of looking at it so it has to be a great experience the service has to be good the food has to taste fantastic there has to be other things you're looking forward to like you're probably not going to want to just have a menu with one thing on it because people might not want to do that uh, again so you need to have a diversity of additional um, things to sell so yeah so coming back to more tangible game examples what should happen after you make your first purchase the game should be better you should have progression. Anything that was a limiting factor previously should be less limiting. You should be able to go faster, feel more powerful, uh, feel more competitive. Anything that is a positive indicator of someone enjoying your game should be amplified exponentially after a purchase. And it should also lead into, okay, now that you've had that incredible high for some amount of time, you should see this next purchase on the horizon.
1: Mm, I like that. So is there any way to like validate that that actually like Occurred? Like, w- would you consider doing like a segmented survey, of, like an hour after or a day after or something to be like, you know, hey, how did that make you feel? What were you trying to get? What did you think you were getting? What did you actually get?
0: you know, are you satisfied? Would you, you know, buy again, something like that? I think qualitative is always interesting. I'll be honest that I tend to, to drift away from it. simply because, um, I don't know anything that looks statistically significant from a qualitative standpoint, um, is going to be so much more statistically significant from a quantitative standpoint, from a, the player base, it's going to be inevitably larger. Like as much as it's great to have 2000 opinions, if you can even get that your game is probably going to give you a hundred thousand opinions in numbers. Mm. Um, So qualitative is valuable because it's the only thing that can really surprise you. Numbers can't really surprise you in the same way. Things are only going to go up or down and it could feel good or bad. Then you have to guess why, whereas a person might be able to tell you why. Uh, So that's the way I tend to look for qualitative. But if I was going to try to validate that uh, the things went well, one of the best things I think you can do is um, be able to filter your dashboards and your data by paying users and actually be able to look at what their behavior is. So easiest one is do they repeat purchase? Awesome. (laughs) That's the hardest one to possibly debate. Yeah, they bought again. Clearly it went well. Um, But it's also really important to understand what that experience looked like for them. So did they actually get value? Did you see that they actually kind of like spiked and did something interesting? Like if you wanted them to have three great days, did they actually have three great days or did they blow through it in one day and you actually kind of had some spend exhaustion? There's a lot of things about kind of to your point understanding as much as possible what that experience looked like. Also understanding as much as possible what a positive experience looks like in your game. Like you have to understand that you have to know that what it feels like to be a paying player. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's hard to kind of control yourself. It's like the second you turn on a cheat in a video game, you never quite know anymore. So it's tough for a developer to be like, this is how it feels to spend. Um, yeah. But fundamentally you want to know, like you may have actually just sold your, uh, your paying player, worst version of your game where i think we talked about this the previous one like oh you bought the conversion pack. congratulations you've now skipped back that nice fun addictive experience (laughs) and we've dropped you into the grind um so it's really important to just have as much understanding as possible and to know what the best version of your game is and if you know what the best version is then that's just what you're trying to sell a player
1: essentially Mm, makes sense um think about this reconversion event which is obviously almost even more important than first, first time. Um, What percent of spenders, I guess, you know, in your experience that made this first purchase actually go on to, you know, reconvert again subsequently. And like, is there like a target where, you know, Hey, you know, only 10% of my first time spenders actually go on to buy, like, is that good? Is that bad, you know, for people that just don't know, like, are there any benchmarks or numbers?
0: I'll be honest that I actually have a lot less visibility on great benchmarks for this one. I think I'm too, um, too narrowly uh, stuck in, like, it's not something I've heard a lot of people talk about (laughs) versus I hear conversion once a week. Um, So (laughs) while I can't give you a number, um, I will tell you honestly that like where conversion, it's the kind of thing that you're supposed to settle for. You're supposed to be like, all right, I know I'll only get a few percent and that's actually phenomenal because a lot of people get 0%. (laughs) But um, repeat purchases, you should genuinely be aiming for 100%. That's that's actually where you should start looking. And no, you're not going to get that. But frankly, anything lower than that should actually be telling you something about your game. So to our earlier conversation, if your repeat purchase is very low, you have terrible purchases in your game. People didn't actually enjoy spending or they didn't encounter a second point to spend so better to know that okay we do have all these things these repeat purchase places so that's going to remove a bit of the debate and now if they're not doing it it's because they didn't actually enjoy spend or the value of your next purchase is, is not there or not clear um but really, like if a person spends on your game, they are so much more likely to continue to spend provided the gameplay stays fun and uh, engaging and they have continuous series of goals. Um, you should probably call that out as a challenge. If only 10% of your people are spending again, it's probably an indicator that spend is not fun in your game because you want to just be like where conversion will have a ceiling, repeat spend should almost never have a ceiling in your mind. It's like It's like early retention. It should almost, you should almost never be satisfied. You should always come back and be like, all right, how can we get those numbers up? What can we do differently? Where are they actually dropping off and why? Yeah.
1: interesting. Uh, I guess final piece, you know, is there any target of like how often people should be reconverting or is it kind of dependent on, you know, the price of the pack? Like some people, oh, I'm going to buy the $99 pack because I know that it's going to last me for, you know, a month or something like that. Um, But are there general targets to like, hey, if my spenders haven't spent any money in the last two weeks, I should maybe be concerned and get them something because they might not ever spend again.
0: Yeah, I think um, I think things like battle pass and uh, monthly passes have kind of demonstrated the outside range for this. So I think part of the reason why the, the dev side likes that so much is because we know trying to get one purchase a month is, is at least kind of standard, right? Like you'd want to, that's where you'd want to be at the very least great. They're going to keep spending. I think it's also strongly tied to retention. If most people are quitting your game after two weeks. Uh, then you better be aware of like, you have a very small range. If you're playing a Supercell game where they're going to be here for years, then it's actually a more deep, rich conversation because you have to be able to ensure that there is something valuable to be spending on at some cadence, basically for, for years at a time. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, uh, I think I would love to target like a week. Um, I don't think it's reasonable. I think it's a good place to start from a methodology standpoint of like, you know, how many, you can kind of look from a data standpoint, how many sales points have they encountered in a week and how mm-hmm. many do they encounter on average for they're willing to spend? So that you can look at things like that to kind of anchor your thoughts. Um, but frankly, past logic like that, I think it becomes really highly game specific. And it's the kind of thing we 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 talked briefly about having a person whose full job is devoted to this. Understanding spend fatigue is extraordinarily important part of your game. Um, So I will say one of the greatest examples in our market that suggests that weekly is reasonable is weekly events. So many games have weekly events now and people spend almost every time. So we know that a lot of people are willing to spend On a weekly cadence, but you can definitely compromise that if you had events every day, for instance, they probably won't convert or reconvert seven times in a week. And that might even kind of control or be one of the best indicators for how much event content you want in your games. Um, But yeah, truly understanding like how much time do people need to cool off if you put on a sale or if you have a regular purchase um is one it's like it's a full job like that's something people need to be aware of because that's ultimately going to set a lot of your strategies for trying to get people to spend again that's awesome
1: so we sort of touched on this a little bit um but uh what kind of presentation actually gets players to convert like what sort of messaging is required what sort of Discounts is re- specifically thinking about this first time conversion event. Like, how do I make something, you know, so
0: juicy that everyone <laughs> wants to buy this? Yeah. Yeah. And it's going to combine a lot of the things we've talked about. So, um, for starters, it needs to be visible and understandable. So, if you don't pop it up inside the game, if you just have like the timer or if it just exists in your store, as you talked about, you've already reduced the number of people are going to see it, but let's start from where you'll actually see it. So, all right, So you put an offer in front of somebody. So what are the most important things? Yes, there's some cool best practices and we'll go over them in terms of saying sale or percent off or buy one, get whatever the hell that looks like. But more importantly, you need to show someone something they want to buy. And that's why it goes back to education. If you sell them three, <laughs> let me put it this way. You shouldn't learn anything from a bundle that's that is a huge challenge a bundle or an offer whatever you want to call it should show you things you already know and understand and then the only thing you're thinking about is probably the price point and the value so the things you want to show a person one going back to psychology a little bit you probably don't want to show them more than 3 things because that's too many things for them to conceptualize so a lot of people are just like here's our crazy starter bundle 19 different things it's like all right <sighs> Now, if I want to know this is a good deal, I've got to be like, do I want twenty of those? Is forty-seven of that a good deal? How do I understand what I'm purchasing? Like, if you have that kind of conscientious spender, you don't want them trying to like <laughs> collate like all the the parts of your offer and try to figure out like which is actually good, which is bad. What do I need? You yep. want a few really eye-catching awesome things that a player has been taught. So cool, there's that boost I like. There's a chest and it's platinum. I don't even know what needs to know anything about the game. I just know a platinum chest is awesome. And there's a big old pile of hard currency. They've already made me spend hard currency four times in the Fatui, so I know that's valuable and improves my game. And if I have those three, then you're only really talking about the best practices, which are the wrapping around that. So things that you might want to see, um, as we mentioned earlier, seeing multiple packs and having one, that's a powerful tool, but I would kind of avoid it for conversion because you don't really want to give them a choice. (laughs) Too much choice is actually very bad for people new to a game. They want to feel like they're already looking at the best thing, which is what conversion packs tend to be. So this is the best value. And you probably want to say it, best value, this is the thing that's going to be, maybe it's 80% off from your core price or maybe it's bonus. You know, There's debates on which work better. So maybe it's 300% bonus on what your current purchase is. Um, it's going to have a timer because you need to have that that FOMO that everyone's aware of. So this offer only available once or counting down for this amount of time or both. Um, You want to have a really extremely clear call to action. Um, uh, Sorry, in my early career, I didn't know what CTA was. So call to action for anyone who hasn't heard the term, the button you're supposed to press has to be extraordinarily clear and I say this, but I've seen a lot of packages where you're supposed to kind of like click anywhere on the bundle and it's okay if you can click anywhere on the bundle, as long as there's also a very clear button that says purchase or buy now or whatever, something that that draws them down to it. And that has to look great. It has to be the kind of button you just need to push. Um, And then, yeah, you want a a price that's that's perfectly optimized. That's gonna be a thing you are guaranteed going to AB test. Um, Yes, there will probably be other market references that put you in the right ballpark other comparable games, maybe they're $2.99, maybe they're $4.99, whatever, that should put you in the range, but you're going to want to find out what is the exact right purchase point for your game. You're also going to want to play with the the quantities of the things you're selling, because that's also going to be variable. So yes, maybe $3.99 is the best purchase point, but there's a separate question of like, what is the value of that? What should you get for $3.99? So optimizing that as well. And then yeah, beyond that, it mostly comes down to good UX. So how well are you presenting it? Like your offer needs to look fantastic. Do not skimp on the money (laughs) that you spend into making a really great modal that pops up. People have to love it. It has to be really high quality. It has to look like you care, makes you excited, put some budget onto art, make it look fancy. Do not skip in that area. And then it's about what's in the bundle, what the purchase price of the bundle is, you know, the, the fun call to action things like uh, 50% off, whatever. Um, and then, yes, slapping a timer on it and making it readily available uh, and visible to players as they go on.
1: Mm. I feel like a lot of offers that I see, they have the price as the button. Do you mm-hmm. find that having purchase or buy now or, or something like that tends to do better as like a call to action, at least for this first time conversion event?
0: There may even be like a uh, <clears throat> a regulation on that these days. Um, I think that's fair, but I probably wouldn't have just the price. I would probably, if you ha- if you have to have just the price of the button for whatever reason, maybe even testing says it's the best. Put a call to action in the art. Mm. Get now or purchase now before you get before it's too late. Something that's literally speaking to the player. Because uh, yeah, you you want them to feel prompted. You want them to understand that like you're supposed to press a button uh, because people do tend to shy away from just seeing um, prices themselves.
1: Cool. I like it. Um, just like a, a few more questions and I know we're almost out of time here already. Oh, we, we just talked about monetization for so long. Um, so thinking about ad monetization a little bit, just kind of like two questions. Um, how can ad monetization tie into this idea of first time you know, player conversion slash, you know, can prematurely showing ads actually impact your payer conversion and LTV?
0: Yeah. So there's a few different things there. So one um, I'll make the distinction between interstitial ads that just pop up with you like it or not, and mm-hmm. ads that you get to opt into, which can provide a bonus. Um, those are going to have different impacts. So, yeah. So the first thing I'll say is yes, people are vastly more likely uh, in most games to be willing to watch an ad than to actually spent people are, are more free with their time than with their wallet. So there is some benefit, and especially it's why it's become such a popular model in recent years, uh, It's because yes, you can offset the challenges of like a very complicated purchase flow or trying to convince someone to spend money with you know a, a much larger percentage of your audience being willing to just watch an ad for 30 seconds and get a cool bonus. Um, so on that side, that's why it tends to have a strong benefit. Now, um, for how it can affect purchases, interstitials will definitely affect likelihood of purchases in one of two ways. Um, One, a lot of people just see a game with interstitials and decide not to play like that is that is genuinely the problem that you have It's like, you know, I'm I'm guilty. Yeah, I I can't stand it. Right? I'm like, dude, just let me, let me play the game, or don't, or I'll force quit the ad. Like, I will, I will rage force quit and reopen an ad just so they don't get to show me the full ad, even if it takes approximately the same amount of time. Um, However, this works on both sides because then if you sell it an aversion pack that says no more ads you have created essentially a tension point that you can remove with, uh, with someone who spends. So a lot of games have like life, you know, spenders lifetime have no ads or, you know, buy the battle pass and you won't have to watch ads this month. So it is something that you can reverse leverage in a way, but it's not great because then your spending players aren't watching ads and they're the most valuable ones. So that's actually lowering the value of your, your players. And it's also kind of acknowledging that ads are a bad thing, which isn't, really great like if you walked into a store and you had to like pay to not speak to someone or something that's kind (laughs) of like what it is so it's weird to acknowledge that something in your game is such a bad experience that you're paying to remove it yeah Um, it's very strange negative reinforcement um so yeah so it can work in both ways it can be um it can be valuable to offset you know, revenue in general, it can provide a conversion point, but use it uh, sparingly. Um, now, in terms of like, motivationally, if a game has ads, are you less likely to purchase? That's tricky. The thing I would really recommend anyone with an ad-based game is have two separate tracks. Your ads should do one thing and your purchases should do another thing. So that once you purchase, you're actually getting a different experience than you would have if you had to just watch an ad. And it shouldn't just be like, well, this is slightly stronger. It should be have different functionality. So people know that they are buying something uh, new and interesting, not just better ads essentially. Mm, That makes sense.
1: Cool. How should, you know, this idea of spending actually impact session length? So you mentioned like, you know, after you spend, it should be glorious. It should be fun. (laughs) Like, should that increase the length of your session for the next three days for just this next time period? Like, or should it not actually impact it at all, you know, in the case of like a vanity purchase or something like that?
0: Uh, yeah, as you say, I think there's going to be certain purchases that don't necessarily affect this. So you're, you're getting into a gray area where it's like, well, I'd be more likely to play longer if I look cooler, <laughs> maybe. Um, the thing that I think it's more strongly tied to is probably the nature of purchases, uh, because one of the most common monetization relationships you're doing is pay versus wait. So, you know, you encounter a timer. If you spend, you don't deal with that timer. You know, you're low on resources. You buy the resources, you get to skip that way. Wherever those weights exist is the most common place for monetization to exist. So, by its very nature, it's actually very hard to decouple spend and increase uh, progression speed and therefore session length. Cause, like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm out of energy. I should be stopping instead of spending. Um, So it is something to be a little bit aware of because not everyone's game is actually good for three hours straight (laughs) because they're not intended to be. Like, um, again, we fall into this thing that we talked briefly about last time, which is like, you're making your game for the average player. And then it's the spender who's actually going through it. So from the spender standpoint, it's like, all right, well, this actually would have been fun and novel if I had have played it over a week, but instead I played for three and a half hours, now I'm through, I'm exhausted, I'm not excited <laughs> by anything anymore, maybe I've bought things that actually make my game kind of worse because, you know, oh, I bought this cool sword and it meant that the 14 loot drops I just got in a row were useless because I bought the premium one. So it's a a really dangerous thing to be aware of. It's like, again, knowing what that best version of your game looks like, it might be better to sell something that makes rare loot drop than to sell rare loot because then you're going to actually encourage them to play and keep getting all those great things that are part of your product. Um, so you almost invariably extend session length and play time, and you just have to be very aware of what that will actually do and how it could potentially compromise your core experience.
1: I have one last question, um, and that is related to Battle Pass, which has kind of you know come about. Um, mm-hmm. So how can and maybe should the Battle Pass idea that lots of people are adding in, actually tie into this idea of, you know, first time pair conversion, like, is that a good event that you should be targeting them to spend on because you should be getting a lot of value out of that? Or, you know, curious what your thoughts are there?
0: Yeah. So there's two things I think are really important to talk about with battle pass. One is that uh, it's actually its strongest value right now is that people know what battle pass is. So again, if I go back to like, You know my my big thing that i won't shut up about is actually understanding purchases people feel like they understand battle pass from the get-go because it's in 600 games now and that they associate it with high value like i'll be honest some of our games actually have higher conversion on battle pass than i would expect simply because if a person opens up your game and see Battle Pass, it's the same as seeing a dragon. It just is a thing that most players understand now. So it is artificially inflated as a purchase point uh, for a lot of people. So that's the thing to understand. Um, But beyond that, in terms of how does it fit in, to me, Battle Pass is you leveraging your retention. Uh, And that's the thing that people really need to understand. If you have really crappy D30 retention, don't sell a battle pass because people are going to buy it once and then it's just one bad purchase because the interesting thing about battle passes, uh one in a lot of games that do it well they reward retention so you know clash royale it rewards and doubles or more, more than doubles the value of your playtime. i get 10 crowns and now i get twice the prizes or 5x the prizes whatever that looks like so it rewards people for playing longer but also the nature of them is that they tend to do something like well a lot of people are like, okay, well, my my I, once a month, I spend this amount of money, and that's going to be the thing. That's my one purchase, and it gives me enough currency, and this is how I use it. So it actually reduces the number of additional purchases a person is likely to make because they've already planned their spend. If their battle pass is in a week, the likelihood of them spending in that week is drastically reduced because why would they? They know that they have hard currency coming. So, yeah, be aware that you're leveraging your retention. And you're also reducing the likelihood of certain other purchases. So it's an extremely powerful system because yes, it also encourages retention. It gives you a reason to come back. It sets up, you know, player behavior and habit, which are so powerful. But if your game doesn't last longer than 30 days, uh, basically all you've done is ensure that they're only ever gonna make one purchase, because why would they spend additionally after that? Uh, It's a very controlled purchase point as well, which is rough because it's like, (sighs) If they're only ever going to spend once, they spend it on the $5.99 pack, not the $9.99 pack, and you can't really A/B test that very easily because so many people see it. So yeah, so it is a thing to not not like overuse to some extent. Understand what you're trying to sell, what kind of game you're you're selling. If it's a game with a lot of retention, could be a powerful tool um, from a conversion standpoint. It is artificially inflated by people understanding what it is um but it can definitely have some adverse uh consequences to your product if you're not fully aware of what you're doing with it.
1: That's awesome. Well, thank you so much Remy. Um I I won't make you do a uh retention question and insight for each one of these parts but uh it's it's been a pleasure having you on um and appreciate all your thoughts and insights. Yeah, it's a pleasure being here. Thank you so much.
0: All right. Bye.